Welcome to Cafe with Strangers. I'm your host, Monica, and today I have my first LA guest, Susanna. Hello. So welcome. Thank you again um, so much for, for coming here. And I'll just let you introduce yourself and kind of start off with whatever background history you want to tell about yourself. Sure. Um, once again, my name is Susanna. Um, I'm 38 years old. Um, I came to this country when I was five years old. I was born in um, Guadalajara, Jalisco. And, um, you know, five years old, they said, pick up and go, pick up and come over. My dad was already living here. So it was um, my me, my mom, and my two older brothers. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, I, I remember parts of it, mm -hmm. but I don't actually remember understanding that we're leaving everything behind yeah. to come somewhere new. Yeah. So that was now that i think back on it i'm like hey that was that was pretty traumatic like i had no idea what was happening i was excited yeah because we came on a train okay um and um i was excited because we were going to go on a train i had no understanding that we weren't going back yeah so we came um on a train and um we crossed the border and um yeah we came to our family's house my dad's family already lived here so we came you know to, to stay with my dad's family I actually got a little excited because you're also the first person that I'm talking to that's from Guadalajara, Jalisco. Mm. I'm from Guadalajara, Jalisco too, or, or like my family is from. So I was like, oh, that's cool. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful city. A no, it really city. is. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you said you came out five years old. I was only nine months old, so I don't remember anything. Mm. What do you remember about that journey? Like, are there like little events that you remember? Like little specific things I remember. Mm. Um, I remember that we were waiting for the train and my uncles were there and they jumped on the train really fast to pick us like a good seating yeah and then because we had all of the you know everything all of our stuff with us that we were taking and i remember they held our spot and then we were able to get in comfortably and all sit together um we actually first went to mexicali uh -huh. where my dad had some family and we stayed there for a couple of days before another cousin of ours came over to pick us up and take us through yeah. the border. That's crazy. I, the craziest <laughs> thing about that, I mean, I mean, I'm talking about what, 35 plus years ago, maybe the border isn't like it is today. Yeah. So we drove on the, uh, on the beach, Yeah. on the outskirts of the beach, like literally there's water and sand and we drove and I don't and I just remember them telling us to stay down. And we drove over God knows from where. And all of a sudden, when they told us we can look up again, we were on the highway. And that's that's how we came over. As a little kid to have experienced that. It's crazy that that's so crazy. I think of I mean, I guess at the time you're not registering and yeah. you're not understanding and it's whatever that's what we did yeah. but as an adult now and you look back on it it's like whoa that was crazy what is what are some of the biggest reflections that you've had looking back at how like you came into the states well obviously it was illegal like yeah. that was not quote unquote illegal. Quote, unquote illegal um that's you know not the way you're supposed to do things mm -hmm. um but but I mean, it's just such a huge change in your life for being five years old. I mean, I was five. My brother was, what, eight? Mm -hmm. And my other brother was 13, mm -hmm. 14, maybe. So um, 
I, I think in our age difference, it's different perspectives. But for me, yeah. I was I was totally lost. I didn't understand. I, I didn't understand really for many years what that implied and what was happening. Did you and your siblings, have you guys ever sat down to talk about that experience? No, at all. It's just something that's never talked about, that's never discussed. Yeah. I mean, I've had like a few moments of clarity with my older brother just because he's gone through struggles where he's told me things that he's experienced as a kid mm -hmm. but he's on he's nine years older than me so i feel like his perspective would be so much different but no we've never discussed it you know i knew you were gonna say no because it's just something it's just, that culturally we don't speak of and whatever's happened happened you just don't talk about it you move on right most of the time that's kind of like the mindset like yeah you know it happened but we don't talk about we don't it. talk about it yeah that's exactly it well that's wild all right so you've been in the la area your whole life my whole life so crazy story from when we first got here we um got to my grandparents house my grandparents were already established yeah. my my dad and his siblings were here mm -hmm. and um i had no recollection of my dad i didn't know who he was i didn't know what he looked like and so we get to my grandparents home and you know you go in through the door and there's a living room yeah. and there's two chairs at the end of the living room and it just happened to be that my dad was in one and my grandfather was in another and they opened the door and my mom said give your dad a hug and i didn't know which one was my dad and i saw the grandpa which was older and in my mind i'm like the older one's my dad and i ran to my grandpa while my brothers ran to my dad and every it, that was the funniest thing in the world to everyone. I did not know who he was. I just didn't know. Didn't realize that's who my dad is. That's so interesting. Gave her dad a hug. Not not only just in, in that statement, but like kind of. I remember growing up as a kid, my parents would always be like, "Oh, that's your tia. That's your tia. Go say hi to them." Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I literally don't know who this person is, but okay, but okay hi. Goes yeah. a hug them. So like that's what I think of, but I can't imagine having that's your father and you don't even know. I don't know like, that's crazy yeah and he's just that's just what it was when we came here yeah. I think we stayed with them for a little bit and then we got settled like I said my grandparents were already very settled here mm -hmm. they had um properties and so we were allowed to live in one of them and you know get to school and things like that yeah. over over time but yeah it was it was definitely something difficult not knowing how to I remember they make fun of me still my mom makes fun of me <laughs> about how I would play with the kids next door, but they spoke English yeah. and I would try to mimic what they were saying, but they yeah. weren't words. It was just gibberish. Yeah. But in my mind, I was speaking English and it, but it was literally gibberish. Like everyone would laugh and I would do it all the yeah. time. Do you remember the struggle of learning English? Um, it, it, I think it was definitely easier for me than my siblings. Yeah. Um, because I was so little. I remember they put us in ESL classes. Mm. And I remember that it was fun because they would take us on outings okay. to show you what different things are called or how you ask for different things or like things like that. Um, we did that, I think, for a summer, the first summer I was yeah. here. And because ESL was lumped together, I got to go with my brother. Gotcha. So, yeah, that was that was nice. I've never heard of ESL, ESL being that. Like you actually go out and do something like that? I, I, I never like, had it again. Okay. It never happened again. Maybe it was a one-time thing. But I remember they took us like just around our community, you know, yeah. like mini field trips almost. And they would just 
you know, say, all oh, of this is the library. The yeah. library is where you get books, things like that. And, um, you know, just kind of do it in both English and Spanish. But I remember transitioning out of ESL fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. My brother stayed in ESL for a couple of years. It was a little bit harder for him. Yeah, I can I can imagine or mm -hmm. like I can understand why. Um, so growing up in the LA area, so my parents or my dad came over here and first came to LA, but then they moved up to the San Francisco area. Okay. Um, so I this is actually the longest I've been here in LA. Oh wow! So I there's a lot of times that I keep feeling like I'm in San Francisco because of so similarity, the people around mm -hmm. me and just like the atmosphere, the vibe. And so like, I guess I'm kind of curious, like how was it living in LA here for you uh, as a Latina? Like, did you, like, when did you first realize where you were and like the environment? Funny thing. <laughs> um, so we came over, um, this wasn't a big deal to me, but I remember it was a big deal with my brother because um, and, and I don't mean to make it sound any type of racist. We just didn't know. My brother was so surprised to see black people. Mm. He didn't. He could not comprehend. He was like, "Son de chocolate," and <laughs> you know, we were little and we were like, "Where?" You know, and it was like, "No," like we had never seen a black person before. And then in Jalisco, there's a lot of fair, like there's a lot of fair, fair skin people. people yeah. Like a lot of people will tell them when they say I'm from Jalisco, they're like, yeah, I could, I, I, yeah. I figured because of your, your, right. you're so light skinned. So growing up 14 years old and literally never seeing a sh like sh darker shades someone of skin other, colors. Yeah. It, and it was, and we were like, where, where did you see someone like, you yeah. know, and it was, and, it, and then they had to explain to us like, no, they're black people. There's black people that live here. There's black people in, in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you know? know, once you're out of your bubble, you realize yeah. that. But at that young age, we didn't know. We didn't know anything. I mean, nothing about the yeah. world, about how it works. It's it's actually I have a similar story. Because when you're saying that, it reminded me, again, being little kids, being in the Bay Area, there was diversity. But again, there wasn't as much. It was a lot of Latinos. We were, we were I remember being surrounded by just a whole bunch of Latinos. And my sister would say um, la, la gente verde regarding black people. Oh. She didn't know her colors okay, okay. Or, or something along the lines of that. So that's what she that's, would yeah. refer them same, to. Yeah, same idea. You know, she like she didn't know. Um, anyways, yeah. So a lot of the things that I also kind of talk about is um, identity and like relating to the Latin identity. Did you ever question that at any point in your life? I think all the time. All the time. I think um, I didn't understand it when I was really young. I, I just thought, you know, this is where we're at. Everyone's the same. But then, you know, you get a little bit older, maybe mm -hmm. a little bit into, you know, the end of um, elementary, middle school, where you start understanding, like, people are different. They come from different backgrounds. Yeah. Not everyone's the same. And um, I think during that time, I wanted to be like everybody else, mm -hmm. right? And um, I wanted to speak English, and I wanted to have what my friends have, and I wanted to go to the movies. But we didn't do that on our side. Yeah. You know, that was just, you know, because economically we weren't there um my mom was not in a position to do these things um she, i think for her she was really scared and she didn't know the language and she didn't know anybody so she was just kind of in her lane and didn't want to very 
out of anywhere. So we didn't do those things. So that's kind of where I wouldn't say anger, but when you start feeling jealous, like, why can I do these things? Why, why can I have these shoes? You know, things like that. Like you, I mean, as a child, you look at the material things and the fun things other people are doing and you can't do those things. Um, Growing up a little bit, you know, I, I started, I think a lot about a period in time where I only spoke English because it's school and your friends and you yeah. only speak English. And when I would come home, there wasn't a lot of conversation at home. So I lost a lot of my Spanish mm-hmm. um, in my teen years. I wasn't, I wasn't practicing. I wasn't speaking it. And, um, you know, as a young adult and you start working, I was like, whoa, I really need it. I, I had to get reacclimated with my Spanish, you know, and then it, it turned into an asset mm-hmm. because people are looking for me because they need me to translate or they need me to look at something. So then that's kind of when I got to wait, like, this is a good thing. Like yeah. being Hispanic is a good thing here. I can help people. I can do things for people. How old were you when you had that? moment realization like probably my early 20s 2021 when I entered like officially the workforce like my my first important job I had had little jobs but when I entered my first important job in an office medical office yeah and they would look for me you know where's Susana you know we need her help we need her to translate we need this and um to this day that's me yeah yeah to this day that that is that has always been me as well um Definitely. I was also where I was a translator in the family with my, mm-hmm. with my family. Um, my sister, I think it was her struggling with like the patience of translating. I don't know, but I was, I remember a little kid going to my dad's medical appointments and talking to a doctor and translating the best of my abilities back and forth, back and forth. as like an eight year old. I don't think I was that young translating for my parents because I had two siblings, so they probably took the most of that. But I do remember when it was just me and my mom, like, say, at the store. ¿Qué dice eso? ¿Cuánto cuesta? Pero por cuántas libras? You know, like, just kind of reading what the special is and if this is the one and, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Yeah, I, I totally remember doing that for my mom. I remember that being so normal. I was like, you guys yeah, don't conversate with your parents to like double check. Like just the whole translating aspect was so normal to me that I didn't realize how different that was until I was a teenager living in Idaho. Mm. That's where I noticed differences okay, and okay. stuff. Um, I want to get a little bit back to your parents. You, there wasn't much conversation at the home. Um, when you spoke to them, do you... you you only spoke to them in Spanish? Only in Spanish. Only in Spanish. My parents, well, my dad, um, you know, that term broken English. Yeah. I say his is shattered because um, it's just so, so bad. <laughs> um, but he he's a character, so he does speak some English. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom understands, I would say, most of it, yeah. but she doesn't feel confident in speaking it. Yeah. So that's how she communicates. Okay. No, I just want to... Um ask um and then a little bit back so i i was also you were both born in in jalisco um i get i got my citizenship status to my dad are you comfortable talking about yeah definitely um as far as what i know my grandparents my dad's parents um when they immigrated they got an amnesty i want to say it was like in the 80s okay um and then they were able to fix for my dad Mm -hmm. 
So then when we came over, we crossed illegally. But once we were here for, I don't know, a certain amount of time, then the process started yeah. for us to be able to get our papers, which is a whole nother story. <laughs> um, it, it's a process. It's a very yeah. difficult process. And um, at that time, my brother was already of age and he was working and he, yeah. he paid for everything. There's a lot of legalities. There's a lot of you got to pay a fine. You got to pay for your doctors. You got to pay the paperwork. You got to pay to get fingerprinted. You got to, you know, so the, it was a lot. And he yeah. paid for, for all of us, all of, you guys. all of all of us. And he was the last one to get his papers because he was already over the age of 18. We were still minors. So yeah. ours came pretty much right away and he had to wait for his. Okay. Um, but I recall this being around when I was like 15, maybe 16. Mm-hmm. And um once he did all the paperwork and we did all of that process, then yeah, that's how we got our, our resident status. That makes sense because I was not even a year old, around seven years old, I got my stuff. And so you being five and then being like, just like 10, 15 years old, that From years, what I know, <laughs> it's um 10 years de castigo that they say yeah. that, that if you enter illegally, there's nothing you could do for 10 years because that's your penalty for entering illegally. From what I understood. You know, that's not the first time I've heard that. I have an aunt who I just remember she couldn't enter or couldn't come for 10 years. I just remember that number mm-hmm. for 10 years. So they, they give you, they penalize you for a certain amount of time. But I remember them telling us it was 10 years. That's crazy. Wow. Um, another reason I wanted to bring up the citizenship status is because um, I have had this conversation with the first complete total stranger Christina that I spoke with um she talked about her status of being undocumented and um one of the things that I mentioned was I grew up basically that if you're not a citizen if you don't have this this these um this title that it's like a a bad thing or negative consequences can happen it was just very like you have to be careful like did you ever grow up with that being kind of talked around you no 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 so um, I didn't, and I think that it's because, like I said, when we came here, mm-hmm. all of my my dad's side of the family is here. Yeah. His his siblings are all here. They had their kids here. Mm-hmm. My dad is the only one who had kids in Mexico. We're the only okay. ones that were undocumented. Um, and so I don't think that was talked about amongst us as a family only because they had their status. They were good. Yeah. You know, so it's not a topic that would typically come up. Interesting. Cause it's, I would say it's almost teeter tottering between how many people I know in my family that are document like legal status versus not. Mm -hmm. So I think with having that mix of these people are, these people aren't why it was always so talked about. Right, because you would it would bring up more conversation. But yeah. I mean, my cousins don't have this experience because they, yeah, they never had to go. They're born here. My my brother is the eldest in the grandchildren, um, and then there's a little bit of a gap between the next, mm-hmm. you know, um, cousins and my brother. But they were all born here, so we're yeah. the only ones that went through this. And from both <laughs> sides, because on my mom's side of the family, they all live in Mexico mm-hmm. and they all stayed there. My mom's the only one that lives here. 
all her siblings live there all my cousins on that side of the family live there yeah. so we're really isolated in in that that this is unique for us because we have no one in our family to compare to yeah do did you ever travel back to mexico during vacation times or anything like that mm, we did i think one time before we got our legal status um when it was e a little bit easier mm -hmm. to cross back and forth um and and we went one time for a summer with my mom she couldn't take it she wanted to go back yeah and um my brother stayed here it was just me and my mom and we went there and we stayed the whole summer and we came back and my cousins drove with me in the car because yeah. at that time they didn't ask holy, for much holy shit you guys drove all the way down there no no no. we flew oh, oh. my cousins <laughs> picked us up from the border gotcha. my mom crossed the border walking and i crossed in a car with my cousins Oh. and my aunt my aunt man that's a solid that's putting yourself at risk yeah yeah and i didn't i, I you don't grasp these things when no. you're little but I, when i'm older and i'm like dang she put herself out there like and and yeah no problem cross right through might i add my cousins are mixed they're um half hispanic half black mm -hmm. so you know you're in a car with you know someone of another color and yeah come right on <laughs> come right through but um yeah that's the first time we went we didn't end up going back until um yeah until we were all our statuses were good whenever you did go to mexico did you how did you ever feel different i definitely feel different because obviously they look at you different they look at you United. Yeah. And um, they look at you different, but I can honestly tell you, I love that side of, I love both sides of my family, but I love going back to Mexico. I love that my cousins always receive you with such open arms and they're just yeah. so much more accepting. They're like, oh, we want to take you to this place. That's so cool. And like, they have an itinerary for when I tell them I'm going, yeah. they're like, oh, we found this other place that we can take you to. And like, you know, they're up like, for a while there, they wouldn't even let me go to the, the store by myself. And I was really? like, guys, like, I can walk to the store. It's down the street. They're like, no, 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 Que vaya alguien contigo. And, you know, so they're just so open arms about it. Mm -hmm. I, I love going back to my, I go back now twice a year. Honestly, um, I, where am I going with this? I want to go back. I had gone almost 10 years since I had gone. And when I went back, I was like, oh, my God. One of the first stops we made was, um, I don't even remember what it's called. I was with my dad and my uncle. They're like, we're going to stop here. You're going to love it. Nothing. Tortillas, handmade. Yeah. yeah. Los frijoles. Oh, oh my God. God. I was in heaven. And, and I love that everywhere you go over there, their sides are salsas and nopales. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere. The amount of salsa. Oh, my God. I was, anyways, I was obsessed. I love it. And I, I had gone maybe 15 years without going yeah because i had gone when my kids were really little and um i didn't go back until last year because it was just so difficult to take me my kids my mom you know mm -hmm. and um the expenses were just so great oh, yeah. but once once they got to a certain age now i go every chance i get every yeah every single chance i get oh, I'm, just, I'm there i'm going back in what november I, I really want to go back and I'm hoping that I can go sometime next year. That is my goal to go and spend some more time there because honestly, yeah, it's just, there's a sense of home definitely when I'm there. Yeah. I, I went back, like, like I said, after 15 years and I feel like I didn't miss a beat. 
like my cousins were, were as we were as children, laughing and running around. Yeah. That's how we were as adults, grown adults, yeah. you know, sitting in that same area, laughing, yeah. messing around. I love it. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about was, oh, shit. It left my mind. Oh, okay. I have ADHD and my, so my Your process, like my, my memory sometimes is not the greatest. Um, so earlier before we started recording, um, you started saying something about why you wanted to also do this. And I felt like you had stuff to say. So I was like, what's on your mind? I'm yeah, curious. There's, there's like, a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> I mean, when I saw what the podcast was about and the topics and I'm like, well, this is stuff that goes through my head all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, um, I think my biggest thing is, is how we spoke about it a little about how just things weren't talked about. Mm-hmm. Like I, I understand where, when we came over, I understand where my mom is coming from. She was alone. Um, my dad wasn't very responsible mm-hmm. and she's alone in this country. Doesn't know what's going on. Doesn't know how to do things. And she has these three kids that she's taking care of on her own. I mean, literally on her own. Um, but I just grew up feeling lost, feeling like I didn't know what I needed to do. I didn't know. I just kind of went with the flow, but that made me a follower because I'm just following what everyone else is doing. And the really bad part about that is if they're doing something bad, I'm following. I'm doing it bad too. So I was not a good kid. I was a (laughs) bad kid. I was following what everyone else was doing. And, um, you know, there's sometimes this friction of, in I feel in my family, I'm considered the black sheep because I didn't do stuff like my brothers did. Yeah. You know, they're calm, they're chill. And I'm, you know, the wild one and doing all these crazy things and I don't follow their beat. And I, I do remember one time trying to explain to them why I'm not like them. In, in my thought, in my experience, they, they have more of an understanding and growing up with my mom's family. I don't have as much recollection. I have bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. I grew up here. Yeah. And I grew up alone. And I didn't have a model and I didn't have friends and I didn't have anything. So I grew up based on my environment. Yeah. Not my family, my environment. That makes me so significantly different from them. And um, I, they don't understand that. They say, we all grew up together. I'm like, yeah, well, well, we did. We grew up in the same house. But our experiences are so different. Yeah. I mean, even to this day, you literally said it. You you haven't talked and had no. these conversations with your own siblings. And neither have I. No. I mean, there's bits and pieces sometimes that come out mm-hmm. in, like, conversation where we'll laugh about something. Yeah. Like, my brother, he, told, he just recently told me that he laughed about, like, he hated the school lunches here. When we came here and we went to school, like, he was, like, he was starving because he didn't eat because he hated the lunches. I mean, he's, like, this This has to be worse than dog food. Like, you know, he just couldn't get himself to eat the food. Yeah. And, um, you know, just things like that. My older brother once told me a story that, sure, my parents took him to school, but they didn't pick him up. And he didn't know his way home. And he had to walk home. Oh. So he was trying to figure out how he got home. And, you know, just crazy things like that, like little bits maybe come out, but we haven't had like a really open conversation about this is how it was for me. And that's kind of one of the, 
I mean, there's the more that I do this, the more that I realize I want to talk about this. I want to talk about that. Holy shit. How did I think? How did I not think about this? Let's talk about that. And it's just literally having these kind of conversations because we're experiencing these things, but we're all holding it in for the most part. We're holding it in. And, And, you know, this is like crazy to me how I can't have those conversations with them. However, my kids are now grown. Yeah. And I want to have conversations with them about this as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Because I I would never want them to feel as lost as I did. I would never want them to feel like I didn't care or I wasn't open to what you're trying to tell me or I didn't want to understand your point of view. Mm -hmm. So we have actually we have a joke about it. I tell them stories from when I was little and the first time I did it, they cracked up laughing. I always tell them when I came to this country (laughs) Um, and that's from that 70s show. Fez. yeah and they cracked up they had no idea what i was talking about yeah. i had to like literally go on youtube and show them like oh this is the character from this show and yeah, this yeah. is how he said it so now when i tell them stories when i was little they're like no 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 you have to do it with the sound like yeah. you have to do the voice <laughs> so i always tell them stories when i was little and you know things that were hard for me and i don't want these things to be hard for you so you know, things like that. Like, I would never want them to feel that way. Yeah, that's actually a good way, a segue into talking about kids. Um, I wanted to ask, like, how you kind of already explained a little bit how you're raising them. Like, you didn't have these conversations with their parents, so you're having these conversations with your kids. What else have you kind of integrated into their life that from from the Mexican culture? Even the most basic. I remember when my eldest son was very little. And um, I kind of had this realization that I would never tell him I love you. And it was not natural for me Mm -hmm. because obviously you never received it. So that was not natural. And I would literally like sit there with my my baby. He was probably like a couple months, a year old, and like force myself to have these words come out of my mouth. Like force myself like he needs to hear. Like I knew internally I need to say it, but it was just so hard for me. And I would... it was like an exercise, forcing myself to say it, forcing myself to say it till it became natural, till it became, you know, just the thing every day, all the time. But it, I remember it being very hard to do in the beginning, extremely hard. Um, hugging, cuddles, things like that. That was hard for me at first as a new mom. I was a very young mom, but it was yeah. very hard. I relate to that so much because even to this day, my friends, my friends know, like people around me, they know that they'll say I love you, but I'm like, yeah, back at you. Oh, yeah, I don't do that with friends either. <laughs> it's, no, no, it's, no. It's, it's I can barely say it to my family, like it's harder with mm-hmm. other friends. I think the only beings on this earth that I'm comfortable saying it to are my kids. I don't say it to anyone else. Yeah, I remember when I was in Idaho, I had a friend, um, white a white friend, who openly casually whatever said it to their parents said it to their friends and i remember thinking in my head huh it's just that easy for you because it's not like i knew my parents loved me but we weren't super affectionate we didn't really see i love you on a regular basis i didn't start trying to actively say oh the quiero until i was late teens early 20s i still don't have that relationship with my parents I see it's it's even when my mom leaves because she goes to Mexico back and forth mm-hmm. and it's like okay bye and like it's an awkward kind of hug like yeah you know away but like I you know 
it's it's still awkward. Do you feel a disconnect with your parents? Like, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> we do not get each other. We do yeah. not. I mean, I'm grown. Yeah. And I think, you know, in my, my younger days, in my 20s, where it was like, no, like, you know, you're not doing this right. And then afterwards, kind of realizing they are who they are. Yeah. My mom is who she is. I'm not going to change her. If I want to have this relationship, then I need to work around it. Yeah. Then I need to acclimate my expectations for parents. And I need to move on. I can't hold on to this. I can't just keep being angry because of all of these things that happen. I need to make peace with it and I need to move forward. Yeah. So even though I, I felt alone as a child, even though there's a lot of things that have happened that weren't optimal and they don't understand that I acted out because I was looking for attention or looking for your affection, they're never going to understand that. They're just going to say, oh, she's a bad kid. She's a bad girl. I And I... I know that now I can understand that now and I had to tell myself you're not a bad person you were just dealt a bad hand and move on there was something that I popped into my mind when I was talking with um with Yami one of the conversations mm -hmm. and it was we're kind of figuring our own shit out and processing it now at this age our parents are doing it at 50 plus I heard that podcasting yes that is very true and it's very true and it's something that I have to kind of tell myself don't get frustrated because I see my mom now mm -hmm. and I think obviously you grow as a person you learn as a person mm -hmm. and I see her changing her ways not with me but maybe with her grandkids yeah. so she has a different relationship with her grandkids and I have to understand okay she grew she learned something she learned that maybe this wasn't the way right and she can't apply it to us because we're grown yeah so she can apply it to them so i i have to make peace with that too you're treating me different than them do you ever feel a slight envy oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> that's a real feeling mm -hmm. but i think i'll give you an example many years ago it was Christmas. We were going to spend it with my brother. My brother lived here in the San Fernando Valley area. And so we were going to drive to his house. My dad, my mom and my dad were already separated. And we were paid. He lived not too far from us. So we were in the car and we were going to come pick him up and drive to my brother's. So as we're driving down his street, I see him playing dolls with a little girl, his neighbor, mm -hmm. little girl. And I remember being so freaking angry so upset like in the verge of tears because like i tell you i didn't even know who he was and i see you as a grown man playing with a stranger's little girl playing dolls like something yeah. you know so sweet and innocent and i'm like where was mine where, when was i gonna get that so yeah envy is a really is a real thing jealousy is a real thing i i asked that because I mean, I'm asking questions because in my head, I'm like, oh, yes, yes to this. I feel a disconnect with my parents. And it's not, I know that they love me. I know that I love them. But I, I realize, like, we just don't have an open conversation mm -hmm. that I've noticed that other people have with their parents. Mm -hmm. Adult conversations, Adult right? conversations. And I just see the way that my mom is with, um, with my sister's um, kids and 
I'm not surprised because I knew my mom was always going to be that type of like grandma, but there are, there have been times I'm like, I wish I had that like closer relationship mm-hmm. with you that you like that is, exists now between the grandkids and the grandma kind of thing. Yeah. So, oof. Oh, by the way, I do have tissues. I've, oh, okay, I've, okay. There have been crying moments in the past or emotional. I, po- so I'm like, let me bring some tissues just in case. Just in case. No, yeah. Just in case. I tell you, these are things I think about. I think I came to a point, like I said, I wasn't a very, I wouldn't consider a very good person in my teen years and my early adulthood. I was just kind of off the rails and doing things I shouldn't be doing. And um, my my oldest son, um, he's, he's autistic um very mild he's what they call high functioning autistic so when i i started to understand that he doesn't learn the same way as other kids or other people i had to immerse myself kind of in that in that understanding i had to take classes i had to um do like parent classes therapy classes speech classes mm-hmm. and things to help me connect with him and help yeah. him in school and do the things he does so that's where i learned a lot of things yeah right i'm doing things wrong i'm not you know what am i doing here and then that kind of forced me to self-reflect okay why are you crazy why are you doing these things what leads you to make this decision this impulsive decision that obviously was wrong what led you to do it? What were you feeling in that moment you made that decision that you made the wrong decision? And the reason I'm asking myself this is because I don't want to make this decision again. So if I can avoid that emotion or know how to work around it or know how to deal with it, mm-hmm. then I won't make that decision again. Yeah. So at this point, I have no time to spare. My kids need me. I have no time to act out. My kids need me. So I have to figure out how I'm going to get myself together to be there for my kids. Yeah. So that was, that, that broke everything open. I don't make decisions without thinking of the consequences anymore. How am I going to feel after? What am I feeling now? What is the reason why I'm making this decision? Yeah. I want to backtrack a little bit and I've been meaning to ask this. Um, your relationship with your mom and dad, like growing up in the household, how how was that if you're comfortable sharing that yeah definitely it's difficult um my dad is a weird person i often tell people that i don't have a word for him because that word doesn't exist he's he's the closest i can probably get you is eccentric a rolling stone i've heard people call him he's never in one place he didn't, he, I, like I said, we don't have these conversations, but my conclusion is he never wanted to be a family man. He was never going to be the dad to stay and provide for his family. Um, He's just roamed about, like he would be here and cool for a little while. And then he would just pick up and leave. And he would say, I'm going to go work, I don't know, in another state or here or there. And um, he would leave, he would leave us with nothing. Um. Later on, when I grew up and I heard stories about him, this was happening pretty much since he got with my mom. He would just leave her. Why she had three kids with him, I don't understand. But um, that's just how he is. And it's so weird. I, I, Like I said, I've had to make peace with what I don't understand. I don't understand him. If I had to guess there's some type of mental health 
something going on with him. To this day, I don't know where he lives. Um, he's told me, but in vague terms, like, oh, cruzas por aquí, te vas por esa carretera, and I'm over here. And I'm like, who can follow directions like that? Um, he pops his head up every so often, like, um, you know, because of the pandemic, I hadn't seen him in three years, and I just saw him a couple months ago. He just shows up. Um, but yeah, he's an odd one. And he was, um, he's very problematic. He likes to cause arguments. He, I think he lives for that drama. And it caused for a while there, once I started getting older and my, bro my brother, my oldest brother left the house like the day he turned 18. Yeah. And we were, I remember there was just a time when we were all walking on eggshells. We didn't know what to say to not make a man. We didn't know what to say to not start an argument. We didn't know what to do. I mean, I, we got to the point where you're closing the door too loud or, you know, so it was just constant problems. Yeah. Um, if, if I kind of go out there, it was constant abuse. He was just, he's, he's just not a real good person. But he wasn't meant for this life. And I, I understand that now. And I tell him, we just had this conversation with my mom the other day. I was like, the reason we get along with him right now is because he doesn't live here. If he were to live here and we would have to deal with him on a day-to-day -day basis, we would be stressed out. We would all be at each other's throats. He doesn't live here. He comes once every couple of years and we're good. And that's that. Yeah. It's crazy, my dad's, and you know what it is? You, the funny thing about it, he's so charismatic. He's such a funny person. People love him. People love him. They ask for him, ¿Dónde está tu papá? ¿Dónde está Don Alex? And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, he's here, whatever. I mean, they have very vivid, very good memories of him and thoughts of him. It's just the day-to-day -day living. That's why yeah. I think... That's why I say he just wasn't meant to be a family man. That is what put stress on him and he couldn't handle. Mm -hmm. Having a family, providing for a family, having a wife, that he couldn't handle. I can't imagine going through that as a teenager and having, like, I'm, I'm just trying to think back of how I was when I was a teenager. If I was in your shoes having to deal with that, that is like um, a lot of, a lot of work and effort to move on from that. I, Definitely. I would, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, he made it easy for us when he finally, like, really left the house. Because mm -hmm. even after my mom and dad got separated, mm -hmm. funny story, um, they were already separated. Yeah. He had already left the house. But they had to get married to fix my mom her papers. And it was a difficult process because at this point, my mom was like, I can't stand him. I don't want to be around him. But you had to make nice to have this done. And she did. And she sucked it up one way or another. And the process went through. To this day, my parents are still legally married. They've been separated for 20 some odd years. Um, and um, my dad was kind of, like I said, a rolling stone, right? He would roam around. Mm -hmm. And um, he would live with us for a little bit. And then he would make us angry. And then he would go live with my aunt and then he would piss them off and so on and so forth down the line. And he would just kind of go back and forth. I think the final straw for my mom was um, there was there was a fight with with my son, my child. Mm -hmm. He was 
young at the time, maybe four or five. And this is where we're really into therapy and understanding him and trying to modify his behaviors because he was very aggressive as a child. And um, he went through a biting phase and he was biting people. And um, my mom was in the front of the house. She would always have like yard sales to make extra money. And the apartment was kind of towards the back. And my dad was in there with my son. And I don't know what that fight was about because obviously my son is a child and he's not able to tell me. But my dad comes out upset. I was working. And my mom goes, what's wrong? My dad goes, well, I'm going to bite him if he's going to bite me. And my mom's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, um, and my mom's friends were out there. And he tells him, be careful, that kid bites. And my mom was so mad. And she goes, you know what? Yes, he does. But he he has autism. He has a problem. And his mom is getting him help. He's like, the problem with you is your parents never got you help. And that was like the final straw. My dad did not come back to live with us since then. He's never been back to live with us. He's been back maybe to stay with us a couple nights while he's passing through, but he's never lived with us again. I I think it's safe to assume that mental health was not an easily discussed topic. Absolutely not. I think I think my son broke it open. Really? I think he broke it open. I I think that because he was diagnosed and um I had to learn another way of doing things. I had to bring that home and explain to my mom, like, this is what the therapist is telling me. And she was open to that. So then we had to change our way of thinking. Uh, And luckily she was very open to that. She's the one that told me when we went to our psychology appointment. And she stopped me at the door and she said, mija, you know, she said in Spanish, no, no más porque sea tu hijo, no pienses que no tiene nada. Si te dicen que tiene algo, acéptalo. And I was like, okay, you know, at at that time, I really didn't think they were going to tell me anything. But then you get to the appointment and they tell you, you know, this is what it is. And you're like, whoa, I was young. I was like 19 when they told me that. And your kid um, was diagnosed at what age? Three. That's okay. The the thing that's interesting to me is um, with autism, I mean, just being Latinos, that's not something that like the prevalence of being diagnosed as a Latino is is lower because oh because and just around us okay mm-hmm. in other family members in family friends they don't accept it they say oh no está bien you know and then like me and my mom will sit there and be like like we see it like are you have this moment where like are we crazy or are they not seeing the same thing we're seeing yeah you know, because yeah, they're like, oh no, I said again, everything's fine. You know, they're they're fine. He's not disabled. Like, mm, kind of is though. Like, you know, um, I can tell you now. I've I like I mentioned to you, my mom was very helpful. I'm so grateful to my mom to this day. She helped me in the sense of like, if there was a therapy that I couldn't get to on time, mm-hmm. she would she would take him. Yeah. And then I would get there. And then, you know, so we went through classes, through therapies, through seminars, through this, through that. Yeah. And I can tell you in the long run, I mean, my son's, what, 22 now? He has some issues, but he works around them. He's yeah. working. Um, he has an adult group that he goes to. And for the most part, I feel like he lives a happy life. So that, you know, that's good for me. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a great, he's a great guy. I want to touch base a little bit on the high functioning part. So um, 
so in terms of like high functioning, the reason I bring that up is because, um, so the first person I, I did the recording with, um, Nordma Norns, um, she's a mental health therapist. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that she mentioned brought up was that high functioning, low functioning is actually in a sense, a detrimental thing to say, because it's saying that while you are high functioning, it's kind of disregarded as, um, oh, you don't, you can still function in our society. It, it takes away from the fact that, yes, you can do the majority of things that society expects of you, but it doesn't mean that you don't, don't need help with X, Y, Z things. Correct. And so um, I, I kind of just wanted to bring it up to be like, this is the kind of the thinking behind it. And it's why it's like a, a more positive thing to kind of in a way avoid saying those things. Definitely. Um, yeah. Just because it, it almost feels it's almost like um, taking away from the experience of someone who's disabled and having to deal with these right i think in my experience um i know these these terms and i've been told before some of the terms that i use are outdated mm-hmm. um and, and i think that's because i'm talking about terms that we used 20 years ago 20, yeah yeah right they're completely outdated now. yeah um at the time when i was going through this process what they were telling me made sense yes but i see the yeah. points to it now. Yeah. Um, I think I had this conversation with a friend of mine just the other day when I was telling her, we were talking about my son and she goes, you know, nothing's wrong with that boy. I said, no, I, I know nothing's wrong with him. She was like, he's the sweetest guy ever. I said, no, I, I know that. And I understand that I do, however, understand how to support him with the things he has difficulties with. I, mm-hmm. I am able to now identify he needs a little extra help here. He needs a pep talk here. Or I can help him navigate his his work world, yeah, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um. So just be able to support him where he needs the help. Yeah. I only just wanted to bring that up because my also goal with this is to just be also educational in Definitely. whatever way I can. And if someone's telling me like, oh, I like I've used outdated terms before too, and if someone's gonna like I. I would want to know if I'm using an outdated term. Yeah, definitely. So I can be like, oh, okay, I'm going to learn from that and not do it. So it's more so just be like, hey, just FYI. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I don't actually talk about this part because it happened so long ago. We don't really talk about it anymore. Mm-hmm. To him, you know, to us in our family, that's just him and that's how he rolls mm-hmm. and that's how we go. But So we don't talk about these things or his diagnosis anymore. That's probably something I haven't talked about in years. Really? Yeah. Okay. Just because he's he's does so well in different things that he does and yeah. so yeah it's something we don't even talk about so definitely that's an outdated term for me <laughs> I, need to, I need to practice using more current terms yeah I mean all we can do is just kind of do do that mm-hmm. <laughs> just practice with that um anything that you want to talk about so far that we've already mentioned anything that kind of pops up um I think just in thought with my 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 kids um i think when when my oldest was was little he had a very traumatic experience Mm -hmm. um his dad was in a really bad accident and we didn't know he was going to make it so we um went to therapy i've never sought therapy out for myself Mm -hmm. but i had to seek it first for my eldest son um just i needed a way to help him understand what was happening how do I explain this to him? Because we were really caught up with what was happening with him. My younger son started to act out. So then it became a therapy for him and a therapy for him and me sitting in on both sessions 
And I remember being extremely frustrated that I was dealing with my older son's situation and my younger son was acting out and I didn't know how to get him to stop. And the therapist told me something that stuck with me for the rest of my life. Uh, I use this all the time in every situation of mine. If you don't like this behavior, the first one that's got to stop behaviors is yourself. If you want this child to have a different outcome, you have to change what you're doing and that'll change your outcome. And that was something that I do all the time now, even at work. Yeah. I don't like what you're doing. I'm going to change my behavior and then hopefully that'll change the outcome. It's focusing, centering yourself on what you can and cannot control. On what control. you can and cannot control. I like that. See, I get to learn from people, other things. Just different things, like, yeah. Okay, this is, this like I tell nice. you, I've never sought any professional help for myself, but I've, I found a method that works for me. Mm -hmm. I found a method that works for me where I can just kind of self-analyze and work through my problems and work through my emotions and work through my frustrations. Yeah to just kind of let them go. They don't, a lot of them don't get solved. A yeah. lot of them don't have a resolution, but you have to be able to move on from them. Yeah. It'll eat you alive if you sit there and, and harp about all these things that happen. Like life isn't easy. Life has ups and downs, yeah. you know? So you gotta be able to let go of those. And then on that flip side, you have to be so present to really enjoy when you get those good days. Yeah. You gotta be real present and you gotta enjoy them. I like that. Backtracking a little bit. So when you wanted to be a part of this, I'm assuming like things went through your head, like, oh, I want to talk about this, this and that, or like these things have popped into my head. Can I, do you, are any of those popping in your head right now? Right, right now, <laughs> as you're saying them, this is like the biggest one probably right now mm -hmm. that, that I'm, I struggle with, that I have to put aside um, this machismo culture. Mm. And um, my biggest frustration is not even with the men in my life. It's with my mom. Good Lord, she like she has this ingrained with her. I don't think it's ever gonna leave her. But you know, she's the the type of old school Mexican lady where they prioritize men over everything. Um, so of course, like I mentioned, my dad is out of the picture. So now it moves on to my brothers. Okay. So it's it's simple things, and when I talk about them, they sound dumb. But in the moment, I'm like, geez. So it's, and I'll bring you an example. Me and my brother live together. Mm -hmm. um, pay halves, you know, half of everything. We split down the middle. Mm -hmm. um, I get home from work. My mom says, there's the food, warm it up. Sure, I'm not expecting you to serve me. I'll go serve my food. I open the fridge. There's no, nothing to drink. I'll just go to the liquor store, right? It's down the street. It's like two houses down. Yeah. Buy a soda coming home and then I see my mom in the kitchen and, I, and I'm thinking what are you doing I already warmed up the food my plate is right there I just went to get a soda she goes oh no it's because um your brother is coming home so I'm gonna warm up his food and that moment of rage inside of me is like if you were gonna get up and and do this for him why wouldn't you do it for me I'm not thinking about you're the woman he's the man I'm thinking we're siblings. We're yeah. both your children. A and so that blew my mind. And I was really mad. And I said, why would you do that? And her response to me was, 
he's the man of the house. I said, the man of the house? You should have told me because if he's the man of the house, he needs to be paying more bills. And she's like, ay, ya sabes lo que, lo que digo. Ya sabes, tú sabes lo que te estoy diciendo. I go, no, that's, that's not okay. Like, this is not okay. And so we struggle with this to this day. To this day. Like, my, my brother is, what, a 48-year-old man? And she's like, ya comiste, mijo. Te caliento las tortillas. And I'm like, he's grown. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it frustrates me is what it is. I get frustrated. You're, you have two older other brothers. Yes, I'm the, I'm the youngest. And not, you're the youngest. And the only girl. And the only girl. I can't imagine the frustrations growing oh, up that you noticed. And while you were the youngest, I, I can imagine the pressure and the responsibilities that were placed on you just because you're a woman. Just because I'm a girl. Because and, and it's still to this day, my like if she needs something, she's gonna come to me first. Mm. If you want to ride somewhere, it's gonna be me first. If you need to fill out paperwork, it's me. If you know, so that's where I have to tell myself to stop getting frustrated because I do get really frustrated where I'm like, well, he's the man in the house. Go ask him. You know, that you know, that's where petty me wants to come in. Yeah. And I have to kind of backtrack and be like, okay, like don't do that to your mother. <laughs> you yeah. know, but it, it is definitely frustration galore. It's frustration even with my kids. Let's go into that because I was about to ask. Yeah, because <laughs> she wants to she wants to teach them like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm like, no, 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 no. I tell my kids, now that they're bigger, we're a unit. Mm -hmm. Okay? We work together. Yeah. You're working as much as I'm working. You know? I'm still the parent, and you guys just now entered the workforce, so I'm still taking, you know, a big portion of it. But we still have to work together. Meaning, if I want to work all day, and you had a day off, let me grab a vacuum. You know? Mm -hmm. Do something. Clean up something here. Wash some dishes. Um, and then we got into a fight with my mom because we came to an agreement. I will cook and then I would call them like, Hey guys, food's ready. And then serve yourself. Yeah. So then my mom comes cause she goes back and forth to Mexico. Yeah. And then she's like, and I told her don't serve them. They can serve themselves. And then I catch her a couple of days later. Cause now they're trained, right? They know they have to come serve themselves. And I catch her telling him, no se preocupen, mijos. Cuando yo estoy aquí, yo les voy a servir su plato. Cuando yo me vaya, hagan lo que su mamá les diga. Pero cuando yo estoy, yo les sirvo todo. And I'm like, dude, like, that's just backtracking everything I just taught them. Yeah. Like, in a sense, it's a little... It's endearing. Hypocritical. It's it like, is hypocritical. And it's endearing at the same time. Yeah. Because she wants, you know, to do something nice for them. I, my mom, I feel, shows her emotions through food. And she cooks for people and that's I, how she wants yeah. to make them happy <laughs> and i understand that part of it but in the other part of it it's totally hypocritical you're totally undermining what i'm trying to teach them and um it's not okay with me so i'm like oh do, and then i have to think to myself is this is this a battle i want to fight right now do i want to argue with you about this right now and so it's just a constant going back and forth with my mom about these things um with your kids what is it how is it that you're kind of implementing a non machismo lifestyle with them besides that little like association um in in a lot of different ways you know i i tell them like 
my my younger son is is kind of a lazy guy you know he's kind of nonchalant and yeah. he wants to be lazy and i'm like nah get up <laughs> i'll be like but it's my day off i'm like so when do i get a day off you know it, it's my day off too mm-hmm. but i gotta go to, i gotta go to the grocery store i gotta buy you food mm-hmm. so the least you can do is come with me and help me carry these groceries inside yeah like there's no Oh, my mom's gonna do it. She's got it. Nah, we're like I said, we're a unit. Yeah. We work together. There's no one that's gonna be pulling someone else's weight here. We're all gonna work together. So that's my what I try to teach them as a family unit. Um, I think as a parent, sometimes you you try to teach your kids something, and you don't really know how it's gonna pan out until they're older. Yeah. You know, you don't know if they're going to catch these things. You don't know what they're going to do. I think for the most part, I've seen positive things about the way my kids do stuff. I'll, I'll give you an example with my middle son. I've taught him, you know, respect is is everything. You respect everything and everyone around you. Okay. On the basic, when they're little and walking. Don't You see this grass? It's pretty, huh? Don't step on it. That lady that lives there, she comes out and takes care of her grass. She mows it. She waters it. And then here you come with your big ass feet and want to stomp all over the grass. Don't step on her grass. Little signs of respect. Turn into, you know, more larger signs of respect. And I think one of the biggest things I try to teach my kids is don't, don't be quiet when you see something wrong. Don't be quiet when you see someone bothering a girl. Don't be quiet when you see someone taking advantage of someone else. Don't be quiet. And and like I said, you would say these things, but you don't know if they're grasping the information. Yeah. So I have a good friend and her daughter is like two years younger than my son. And because he his schedule was messed up, he didn't take a ninth grade class. So he's now like in 11th grade having to take a ninth grade class with her. And um, the story, the story he told me is that they're working on something and she's standing next to his desk and comes another little boy and grabs a ruler and smacks it on her butt. And my son got up and was like, Hey, like, what are you doing? You know, like, that's like my sister. And um, the little boy got mad and punched my son in the face and they got in a scuffle. So then I get a call you know, from the school talking yeah. about come get your son. And then at the same time, my friend is getting a call because her daughter, you know, was involved. Yeah. And I'm like, what is going on here? So we get to the office at the same time, me and her. And the kid, you know, my son's calling me. He's like, mom, they're going to call you from school. I'm sorry. I got in trouble. Yeah. And he tells me what's going on. And I'm like, dude, you're not in trouble. Yeah. You are not in trouble. He's like, what if I get suspended? I'm like, you're still not in trouble. Like you, you stood up. Not just for a girl, but for my best friend's daughter. Yeah. You know? You did what was right. You did what was right. Even if the school doesn't agree with it, you, you stood up for her. And that's all that matters to me. I love that. True story. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, that, that makes me happy to, to hear that. Because um, the age difference between me and your kids is roughly at least 10 years or so. Okay. And me being in high school, that situation. All the time, right? Like, the lack of respect in that time mm-hmm. and, like, how we prioritized, like, the feelings of the boys and, and, and stuff like that. Like, 
that makes me happy to know that we're going that direction because I know that that would have not happened or rarely would that have happened where someone stood up for another person in a situation like that. Yeah. So I'm just like, progress. Yeah. It's good. It's, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's progress. And it's, it's something, you know, I feel like if you plant the seed here, they can voice these things to other people and maybe it'll make a difference for them of yeah. how they move around in the world. You know, there's so much disrespect out there and just so much nastiness. And I'm like, no, don't, don't go that route. Let's, yeah. Let's go this route. Yeah. Um, I want to talk. So you consider yourself, do you consider yourself first generation? Um, I, I consider myself an immigrant. Mm -hmm. I am an immigrant. I'm, I was not born here. I, I, you know, I, I was legally from this country till I was what fifteen, sixteen. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm an immigrant. Do you consider your, your kids first generation then? Most definitely. What have you know have you noticed your kids going through any struggles that kind of relate to being Mexican? They Mexican? have opposite struggles, I think, because my son tells me all the time, like my younger son growing up um couldn't say his r's mm -hmm. so he doesn't speak spanish very well and he's very shy about it so he really only speaks it with me and with my mom mm -hmm. but he doesn't like to speak it in public around other people because he thinks he's going to get made fun of because he can't say his r's so he gets offended when people tell him he's not mexican and he's like i'm mexican <laughs> you know and then he feels it because that's our culture at home that's how we live our lives. He he loves going to Mexico too. Yeah. And so now he now he identifies more with that side of us of himself. And um, you know, he he works too. And he was at the store and he was like, Yeah, they needed um someone, you know, that understood like the spices. And I was like, Yeah, I know what they are. Yeah. They're like, How would you know? He's like, I'm Mexican. <laughs> and he's like, you know, so he gets mad when people think he's not Mexican. I understand that. Not necessarily in that sense, but I understand someone, if someone were to come up to me and be like, you're not Mexican. Like, I, I had, I told myself I wasn't Mexican for a whole bunch of years. And then like, I, to hear that someone, someone else saying that to me, no, that would make me mad too. Yeah. Like, that would be that, upsetting. That would piss me off. It's completely, it's, um, it's attacking your identity. It is. It's definitely, it is. And, and I think that's what it is for him because he, he has now found this side of him and mm -hmm. he likes it mm -hmm. and he's exploring it mm -hmm. and for someone to tell him, no, you're not. Yeah. He gets so upset. Is it coming from other Latinos that say that to him? You know what? I didn't ask him about that situation at the store. The reason I mentioned that is because through these conversations, a lot of people that say that they don't speak Spanish because other Latinos are making fun of them. So it's just a common thing that I've come to notice. It's it's our very own people that make that are tearing. Mm -hmm. We're tearing ourselves down where we should be lift uplifting ourselves. Well, we have, and and I think I don't know if it's just my family, but I I, I feel like it's a lot of our culture that we have this thing um, que se llevan mucho. You know, they they uh, make fun of each other a lot, mm -hmm. and a lot of it's funny. But then you cross this line where it's not funny anymore. It's attacking your person, mm -hmm. so it's not funny anymore. Yeah, you know. Um, I, have you heard it when they say, ah, oh, quiero llorar, quiero llorar, you know, when they oh, make fun yeah. of you? Okay, oh, yeah. so that type of mentality, right? Yeah. Where they're making fun of you and everything's funny, quiero llorar, but at the same time, that's like traumatizing. And, <laughs> and it crosses a line where, dude, this is not funny anymore. I, I remember hearing that 
a lot. And I'm just thinking, realizing now, like the amount of times that I wanted to cry, but I tried to hold it in so Oh, badly. because of that, right? Because you're told yeah. you shouldn't cry. You're not supposed to cry. Oh, yeah. You're, hide your emotions, you know? Hide them all, yeah. More so with, with men. Like machismo, they're not allowed to cry. No, and so it's harder for them in that sense. Yeah, definitely. Oh, wow. A little bit of like memories coming oh, back yeah. by you saying hey, yo, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh my God. Because <laughs> oh, I mean, do you remember like, you know, like you probably had family and they're making fun of something you did, something you said, whatever. And it's like, get out, get out, and you're like trying yeah. to hold it in. Oh, yeah, those are hard. And I was an emotional kid. I mean, I still consider myself an emotional I, I'm an person. emotional. I, I can control myself a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But once I'm driving alone in my car, yeah, all my emotions are going to come out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm still an emotional. I was a very emotional kid. I was Mostly because I feel like I was starved for attention. I was starved for that emotion. It wasn't there. Yeah. Damn, life and trauma. <laughs> Very much. Lots of trauma. Oh, okay. Um, all right. So kind of speaking a little bit, I guess. Oh, I don't know what I want. Oh. Um, do you want to talk about religion? Like, if, like I don't anything? have much on the religion sense of it. Um, I, I remember growing up, it was, it was Catholic. Mm-hmm. But like I said, when we came here, we didn't have... My mom wasn't close to my dad's family. Mm-hmm. So we were literally on our own. Yeah. Um, so she didn't follow it as much. Okay. Um, I think I, I really think that my mom was just scared to come out of the house, you know? And so we there was no interactions or anything. Um as we grew up and she she doesn't follow mm-hmm. like going to church and being religious. Um, but I see her like randomly like reading the Bible or like she'll say something quoting the Bible, which is fine. Like I'm not gonna sit here and say no. I'm not very religious. I didn't teach that to my kids. Um once they got older and we had the conversation and I told them in in my understanding, I believe there is a God because this life is beautiful. And how can a human person be an accident you know your mechanisms and how your body works and how everything organisms work within each other it's amazing i said do i follow religion hmm, not really it's too many rules for me <laughs> i feel like if you are a good person and you put good out into the world then you're fine kind of seeming it's more of a spiritualness side more. that you're kind of passing mm-hmm. on to your kids you're it, it seeming like you're grabbing the good from the the religion that you grew up right or kind of around and passing that good on to yeah kids. just the kind of like like you said the spirit of it mm-hmm. not the rules and regulations you know all of this stuff that gets intricate and all of these things and i don't follow all of that i just want you to always be a good person to do good onto yourself and onto the people around you to others to everyone you come in contact with damn little kid me being forced to go to sunday i did i i did my um (laughs) i did my first communion the dress thing all of that the confirmation i didn't do but i remember be doing a first communion you know what i don't i never realized i've only met a handful of people that have done the confirmation and two of them were my friends i think that i think just kind of generationally speaking you do your confirmation i mean your um first communion when you're little right Mm -hmm. you have no choice you do what your parents tell you to do 
once it's time to do your confirmation, you're a little bit older and you have a little bit more of a mouth and be like, I don't want to go or this isn't for me, you know? So that's kind of where it has, I think for a lot of people, just let it go. I think that's where one of the reasons why I actually did my confirmation is because I was between 10 and 11 years old which I've come to realize a lot more people do it when they're closer to their teen years. Yeah, and that's where they they don't want to go. You know what? I'm thinking about this now. I don't even know if my sister did her confirmation. I think I think she did, but my brother, I don't know. See, I don't even know these things about my siblings. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if they did or not. My brother was, um, what do you call them? The Monaguillos Ultra Boy? Yeah. I remember, I don't remember it vividly, like in my mind, seeing him do the Ultra Boy thing. Yeah. There's a picture of him in his getup. Yeah. And that's how I know that's what he did. But he never talks about it. He never. I was a little altar, not altar girl, but. They're the you know, ones. the little helpers. The little do... helpers, like, oh, the priest is going up to the front. All right, we're going to see them. Yeah, they them. Walk with them. Behind. Yeah. Oh, um, that and carry whatever. Just little things like yeah. that. But I remember doing that because I didn't have to be next to my dad, who was stricter. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, shh. <laughs> yeah, my brother did that. I, I know I didn't. I was. I was never too into the whole thing once we got older and it was like whoa like a lot of the things you guys are saying just doesn't really calculate for me you know and then i'm like yeah no this isn't for me yeah we can talk about is there anything about schooling wise that you want to talk about like uh is there any struggles definitely struggles um yeah definitely so like I mentioned to you, you know, there was never really any communication. Mm-hmm. There was never anyone to tell me school is important. Mm-hmm. You can get somewhere with this. And I think I was kind of dense at the time, but that I didn't realize it either. I think my brothers realized it, but not me. I was too busy going wild and out with the bad kids. Um, so I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it. And I put zero effort into school. Zero. If I showed up, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that was a game. Then, um, and that's a lot because, like I told you, I felt lost. So sometimes in school, I didn't understand the subject mm-hmm. and I didn't know how to ask for help. And they just moved on and I never understood it. Yeah. So once I got, I think, to high school, a little bit into high school, and I started to understand like things were making sense, the classes were making sense. And I was like, whoa, I can do this. It was too late. I was already pregnant. And, um, I remember the teacher who really made me feel like I can do something. Um, I took her first for like a history class. And to this day, this is how I learned. She was so structured. She, you know, the way she would, she would have us take notes and the way she taught us how to take notes. I still take notes in meetings to this day that way with the points and your main subject and your supporting arguments and just everything made sense to me. I loved her so much. And once that class was over, she recommended me for an honors class. I had never, and and she made me feel validated mm-hmm. that yeah, I can do something. You're not you're not dumb. Like you can do something. And I remember taking that honors class and being pregnant and taking that class. And um, I live in an area where there's a lot of white people. So I'm here. I am this little Mexican girl already knocked up, already a stereotype. And I had to give a presentation in front of all these white kids. And I was scared shitless. And she saw it in me and she told me, you know, if it's too much, you don't have to do it. 
I'll grade you accordingly. You can give me your presentation. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And I gave her my presentation. And I, I think that was the best job in school that I did. And she just opened this up for me to where I feel like I can do things. I, I don't need to feel like, why are you here? That imposter syndrome, you know? Yeah. And um, it, I still battled with it a little bit just because I, I didn't go to college. Um, I, I did like a, a technical school mm -hmm. yeah. certificate. And, um, you know, I started working, but there was a while there where I wasn't moving anywhere. I was just kind of stuck and stuck and stuck and stuck. Mm -hmm. And finally, um, I, I had met um, someone, a coworker. And, you know, he was like, hey, you do a good job. Like, you know, he noticed these things about me. And, you know, whatever, we parted ways. I went to a different job. And he ended up being the manager of where I'm at now. And he called me and he was like, hey, come over. Like, I have a position for you. I'm manager now. Like, I'd love to have you on my team. And I'm like, great. So this kind of elevated me to more of a position I wanted and more responsibilities and things and the pay and everything was just yeah. better, right? But I had, I found myself having like an anxiety attack before I started. Like, what if I mess up? What if I'm not good enough for this? What if I let him down? Like, he reached out to me, you know, and like, what if I can't do this? And like, I was losing sleep. I was thinking I was going to fail. And I literally, the night before I started that job, I had bought a notebook to take notes. Yeah. And I had to write myself a letter in that notebook. You, you can do this. Yeah. Don't doubt yourself. You deserve this. You worked a long time for someone to recognize you and, and, to, and to want you to be better for yourself. Like, I had to tell myself these things. And throughout that first day that I was there, I had to keep back, go back and read it. Because I, I totally felt like I didn't belong there. Like, why would he call me to come work here? Total imposter syndrome, I'm telling you. But I feel, but ever since then, I feel better about it now. Yeah. Like, I feel, I can do this. Like, I have the skills for this. I want to, um, since you mentioned it, I want to talk a little bit about that. I, so you mentioned the stereotype, you're pregnant at 19. Are you comfortable kind of talking about that time period in your life and like struggling with that stereotype? Definitely. I think, um, you know, those were my first struggles with it, with like being embarrassed. And I was so young. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually 16 when I had my son and um, I, I was so young. And, but at the same time, a lot of my peers had kids already, too. So it's not, it wasn't, like, if you're just with your group of people, it doesn't feel that not normal. Mm -hmm. But once you step outside of that group, yeah, you realize, like, whoa, this isn't normal at all. Um, So that was difficult. I mean, I, I definitely had a difficult time with raising my kids, you know. Um, I Like I said, I had support from my, my mom and my brothers who always helped me out and, um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, I've heard this term. I don't know if you've heard it before. There's a difference between being a single parent and being a lone parent. I haven't heard that, but... So wow. being a single parent is like if you and your partner have broken up yeah. and they still take half of the responsibilities mm -hmm. for the child. A lone parent is you're completely on your own. Yeah. There, there's no one else to look to, to for support. Yeah. So I was a lone parent. Oh no. I was a lone parent and um financially was probably the hardest thing ever to be so young and yeah. to never have enjoyed 
like your money, your freedom, your independence. Like I said, my mom has always supported me. So when I got to a certain age and I wanted to go out and hang out with friends, she would be like, yeah, go, Mm -hmm. you know? And so she allowed me to have that time for myself, Mm -hmm. but I still had to be responsible, Mm -hmm. you know? So it was crazy trying to manage both things. Um, When my son turned 21, I wanted to throw a huge party and you know, he's autistic. He's not um, very social. He's not social. Right. (laughs) And he's like, mom, why do you want to do this? I, you know, and he's like hesitant. And I, and I had to turn to him and I was like, honey, this party is not for you. (laughs) This party is not for you. This party is for me that we made it this far that I kept you alive for 21 years he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, we had a really nice party for his yeah. 21st. But it, it's definitely not easy. It's definitely hard. Um, I, I think that my kids will definitely have repercussions of not having a dad in their life. Mm-hmm. I think about that a lot. Mm-hmm. How do I teach them to be men? What Obviously, I'm a woman. I don't know everything about it. Like, what am I missing here? What what am I not explaining to them? What am I not? I mean, I wasn't good at sports, so I they don't play sports. I didn't teach them that, you know, like tools, really. Like, you know, there's there's a certain male aspect that I do feel they're lacking. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't want it to affect them negatively. Yeah. My work around around that is if there's something you want to explore, nowadays we have so many possibilities. You could take a class. You can look at YouTube. Yeah. YouTube will teach you yeah. anything, you know? <laughs> and um, I do feel a little bit better that that my son does these things. Um, he wanted to rearrange his room because he's going back to school. He's like, I'm going to buy a desk and a chair. Mm-hmm. Just go for it and do it. Mm-hmm. All right, we found a desk. We found a chair. I was like, I'll take you to pick these things up, but I cannot help you put it together. Mm-hmm. It took him a couple hours, but he put the whole thing together. And I was like, okay, well, at least he has that, you know. He has a little bit. He can build on that. And he can know. And he asked for help. He asked my brother, like, what tool would you use for this? Okay, you can use this tool. But, yeah, they're definitely lacking that that male role model. I'm just kind of thinking about that. Yeah, absorb it, absorb it. I keep keep kind of going to the be a man part. I guess this is part of me where, um, so I'm not sure if you're aware, but I consider myself non-binary. And so I've always had this kind of like internal confusion in the sense that I I realize now that other people see um, the world as like a man and a woman. And so for me internally, it was like, I never felt like I was either one. In a sense, I just kind of felt like I'm me. Okay. So having like the phrase like, oh, be a man. In my brain, I'm thinking literally anything that you're doing, you're teaching them to be who they are, teaching them to be a man. So in a sense, I'm thinking like you're you're not giving yourself enough credit Hmm. for raising your kids and you're doing they're still going to end up being a man the way that they're going to end up being. And I just think you're not giving yourself that credit. And I think it has to do with my possibly, you know, imposter syndrome or something like that. But um, I mean, I don't have kids. I, I don't have absolutely no idea what that struggle is ever Uh going to be like, but I generally I'm sitting here thinking as you're saying this, I was like, I don't think yourself, you're giving yourself enough credit for raising these kids 
And I think you're giving them everything that you possibly, possibly can. can. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I, I do. I want to give them everything I possibly can. But, you know, the, the, you're limited to giving them. Like, I want to give them all my knowledge. I yeah. want to give them all my experiences so they can learn and take wh what they want from it, right? Yeah. But there's also experiences and things that I don't know, skills I don't have yeah. that I wish that they would have. And then my brain kind of goes into the machismo. Like, it's you don't know these things because you it wasn't your role, quote unquote, to learn them. You, True. And, and because, yeah, yeah, yeah. because growing up, I mean, I remember a lot of the more you know, manly stuff was taught to these to the people, boys, to the yeah. boys and not to us, you know, like I want to learn how to, I like, I want to know how to put my own furniture together. Yeah. And so I had to teach myself how to do these you, things yeah. because I being raised as a woman, they, it was something that wasn't going to be taught to me. So I don't like, know where I, was going I taught there. myself how to drive. <laughs> there you go. I taught myself how to change a tire, mm -hmm. things like that. Things that typically would be like, Mailing, but there are still things that I I want to learn how to do. Mm -hmm. That would be your typical male role, male like. Role, yeah. But I I I I am so like I don't want to ask for help. Yeah, <laughs> and I would rather try to do it myself. Yeah, than ask for help. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, I definitely. There's a lot of things that I I kind of put myself on a checklist. Like you're gonna learn how to do these things. You know, I want to learn how to take the, the pipe off when something gets clogged in the sink. Like, I want to learn to do that just because I don't want to call anybody to fix it yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like thinking of like anything car related, I get so nervous about. Me too. I don't like going to mechanics. So like I, I hate avoid it. anything regardless, regarding cars. I, it, it's so stressful. I try to avoid so hard. My brother is <laughs> a mechanic. Mm-hmm. So I got lucky on that end. But before he started working on cars, he, he did like a career change. But before he worked on cars, that was my biggest fear. I would, I messed up cars, not getting them serviced just because I didn't want to go in there. I get that. And even right now to this day, like there's things sometimes that I want for my car. And if he can't do them, like I wanted to get a different tint on my windows. Mm -hmm. And I told him, can you take my car? He's like, why don't you take it? I'm like, I really feel like they wouldn't do you like they do me. Oh, like I'm afraid that they're ding, gonna ding, ding. they're gonna charge me more or they're gonna sell me something that's not good or not worth it. I was like, can you just go get my windows tinted? He's like, okay, I'll go. But yeah, I definitely yeah. feel that way. I everything you're saying, like I'm like I knew you were gonna say mm -hmm. what you're gonna what you said before you're gonna say because I've literally been in the same boat. Whenever yeah. when I was living with my parents, anything I had to do with my car, hey dad, can you go do this? When I was living with my my with my ex partner, hey, can you, I asked him, I was like, hey, can you go do this? Because I know regarding the car and the vehicle, they're gonna get better treatment. Let's let's flip that. Okay, on the flip side of that, mm -hmm. my brother totally comes to me with anything related to his medical appointments. Mm. When he can't get his appointment where his medication got stuck or something, so not only because I work in the medical field, but I feel like just as general as a girl. Mm -hmm. How about, can you take care of this for me? You know what I mean? And, and then now we go back to gender roles. This is something that I'm more familiar with. Yeah. And, you know, the mechanic and the car stuff, this stuff that he's more familiar with. And that's where he's comfortable and that's where I'm comfortable. So I, I think, you know, subconsciously I have to because now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like, I'll teach him, like, if they tell you this, ask them this. If they tell you this, ask them this. And that's how I teach him how to set up his medical stuff. 
he tells me, you know, you need to tell me when you get to this mileage um, because we need to change, filter this for filter that. I mean, he tells me these things. Am I understanding all of it? No, but I know what he's talking about. So he's teaching me, I'm teaching him. Yeah. Now that's making me wonder and question, kind of delve into what benefits do we have? You know, because I'm aware that I present a certain way. So sticking with the binary, what benefits do we have that men don't have that they don't, they struggle with? Because, I mean, that's the other part of machismo is, like, they get affected with it, too, negatively. Yeah. And so, um, um, the more, more basic, this is the basic thing that came to mind when you said that. Like, if you're a girl and you look a certain way and you're at a bar, they're going to serve you first. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you want to get to like the heavier side of things, the really heavy side, and um, you know, this is a man and this is a woman. The woman can also be the abuser. Oh yeah. And they might not believe the man because the woman, you know, is sexo feminino, mm-hmm. and they believe her and not him. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to get on the heavier side of things, so that's where it could affect them negatively too. Absolutely, and I actually think that's another topic that is not discussed. Enough. No, not at all. And. It's I, I also feel like that is important to talk about and and emphasize that men can be abused too. Too. They yeah. can be on the op- of the on the receiving end of mental or like verbal, physical, sexual abuse as well. Definitely. And it's super important. And, and, and think about it, for them, you know, if they're like this macho guy mm-hmm. that with that's, our especially with our culture. With our culture, that strips them of their identity completely. Like who you know, if you're not a man's man and you can't protect yourself from this woman then who are you yeah. i mean in their thinking yeah. right that's because like, that's, that's what our culture taught them yeah and that's like one thing that um you know one of the questions i asked like what generational things are we gonna you know like are you interested in keeping and like and interested in not keeping and so, like on that flip side right the conversation i try to always keep open conversations with my kids mm-hmm. just about life in general now, and I told them, you know, once they got to like that teenage, you know, little girlfriend here and girlfriend there, I was like, dude, you got to be careful. You got to be careful because just as much as you have to respect a woman, she has to respect you. Yeah. And just like there's crazy guys out there, there's crazy girls out there. And you don't want to be stuck with the crazy one for 18 years if you have a kid. Like you need to pick a partner that you can be comfortable with because when it hits the fan, you need to know you have some type of sanity like that you know you need to to look at for these things you know if a person is already if you're dating and this person's already showing you that they're selfish don't pursue that relationship Mm -hmm. like it's gonna escalate something similar along the lines of that so um my my ex he's also mexican his family is as well he had told me that his his mom had told him as like an advice like if you wouldn't have a kid with this person, should you be dating them? Kind of thing. Very true. You know? Yeah. So it's pretty much what you're saying. It's phrased a little bit differently, but along the same lines. Like, it, it kind of goes back to the individual. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I, I don't pursue relationships now. Mm-hmm. I think um, when my kids were little, I absolutely did not want to be with anyone for a serious relationship because my son was different and I could not and I see this a lot with Hispanic women where 
they get remarried and this person is now your priority and your kids are kind of like lagging behind. I could not envision myself being in a relationship and being devoted to this person and that person not loving my kids or not treating my kids fairly. Yeah. I couldn't see myself in that situation, so I didn't do it at all. No, none. I always told myself when my kids get older, I'll go ahead and pursue a relationship. And you know what happened? My kids got older and I found that I love to be alone. I love my, I cannot see myself having to share so much of my time with another person. I want to dig into that a little bit because our culture is very much a pair. A pair. Uh So being uh, like alone for the, not alone, but being a single individual person for this long, have you dealt with criticism from your own family? Most definitely. Most definitely. I get it all the time. ¿Y por qué no te casaste? Si te puedes casar. Si sabes que eres joven, puedes tener más hijos. Like, nah, I don't want more kids. I don't want to be married. I don't, I mean, if I, you know, in my mind, in my 20s, you know, I didn't do it then. I absolutely wouldn't do it now. I date. I go out, you know, but I don't pursue serious relationships. I love my individuality. Yeah. I love picking up and doing whatever I want and going wherever I want. And um, yeah, that's that's me all day long. Right now, I love. I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. I left. My son was like, "Where are you going?" I was like, "Out." He's like, "All right, have fun." <laughs> He's like, "All right, peace out." Are you gonna be back later? Yeah, I'll be back. That's it. We're done. Well, that makes me feel kind of good that you would. It makes me. It makes me feel like I, there's a sense of trust in a sense because mm-hmm. to me, I'm like. This isn't like the easiest thing for someone to do. You're literally meeting with a complete stranger mm-hmm. and stuff. So I'm just like, I appreciate the trust. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But this is the crazy part. I I cannot be this vulnerable with my family. This is never. I would. I don't even think I'll tell them about this. Um, I I wouldn't be this open with them, but I can be this open with other people. And, and sometimes, I mean. And sometimes that's just how it is. Yeah. That's just how it is. That's... I mean, I haven't told my parents that I'm doing this. Oh, interesting. I... My sister is... My sister knows. Um, Are... Well, this is what I would be concerned about, especially with my mom, like her criticism of it. (laughs) This is the relationship that I have with my parents in a sense. So I got surgery. So I've always known that I didn't want kids. That makes me a very black sheep of family, you know, with our culture, mm-hmm. like kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I decided to get surgery so that I wouldn't be able to have kids. Mm. I didn't tell my parents until I think it was like two weeks before the surgery date. My mom was like, I was get the way they see it. My mom knows there's nothing she can do. If I have my mindset on something, she knows. Yeah. And that's how she's been with me for a long time. Like when it came to the tattoos and stuff like that, like that was a big deal. Like, oh yeah, that was my dad a huge was, deal. My dad was pissed when he first he saw mine on accident. He was pissed. And my dad, he didn't say anything, but he's also kind of that. My dad isn't stereotypical, a stereotypical Mexican in various ways, but he kind of is in that sense where he he can be quiet and just not say anything. Yeah, but that's also and, and And so I asked him, and so because he didn't say anything, I was like, are you going to say anything? He's like, Wes, I wish they would have told you that you're too young. And I'm like, no, father. Like, I know that I wanted this since I was little. And so that's kind of a relationship that I have with my parents. Like, if I have my mindset on something, I'm going to do it. And while 
I'm aware that they might have certain thinking. My, I've been very fortunate and blessed that my parents are not as critical and as judgmental as a lot of other Latinos and like a lot of family members that I've experienced have been. So in a sense, what it doesn't scare me because I want to be open and I want to have these conversations, but I don't know how to have it with my family okay. members. While my parents don't understand English and like very well. So this cover this wouldn't be like kind of like a problem in a sense. It might be something through the grapevine mm -hmm. that they might end up hearing about it. But I'm in a sense, I don't care because I want to talk about these things. I want to be open and if it means making myself very vulnerable, which is something that I do not do. Right. This is not who I am. I don't I'm very reserved. People my friend, people who have known me for years. I, I'm barely being open with them in mm -hmm. a lot of different ways. So in a sense, I don't care, but I haven't also had the criticism right. to, to experience from them. Um, and I think it also goes to me feeling, while I do feel like I have a disconnect with my parents at times, I have never felt that they wouldn't love me regardless and like i i haven't told them that i'm non-binary i haven't told them that i'm not straight. would they even understand um you know that's funny i kind of had a conversation with my mom a little bit uh -huh. about like so she somewhat understands what non-binary is and she literally said pues por, por mi no perron. she's just uh -huh. like i don't care and so i've been fortunate in that sense where they may not understand but i know that i would have their love uh -huh. from that so when it comes to them i'm like not super scared and I guess I've, I've also lived my whole life judging and criticizing my own self that if I'm kind of at a point where like what can someone else say that I haven't already said to myself? to myself yeah and it hurts more when you say it to yourself yeah. you know and so if I'm here forgiving myself for doing xyz things to myself for for treating myself this way for acting like this like if I can forgive my own self for doing this, I I think I have the strength to to deal with the criticism that other people might come my way. If that makes sense, it does. Okay. And I don't think I've reached that level in myself. I because really hard. I feel like <laughs> I still seek my mom's approval, and I have mm -hmm. to like stop myself in my tracks and be like, "You don't have to check with her." Oh, here's the other thing. I haven't lived with my parents for the past five years. So I feel like having separate and being separated from them. You've gained perspective. I've gained perspective yeah. and more um, come to terms with who I am as a person and what I want to do that I feel like being away from them has helped me. Whereas you've lived in this area your whole life where I feel like that that's a different experience that I can only imagine. So let, let's, that's another topic. How about this one? I would, my mom, okay. So I've always, since I turned 18, been responsible, paid bills, paid rent, mm -hmm. the whole jazz, right? So my mom technically lives with us, mm -hmm. right? She goes and comes. But I feel financially responsible for her. I can't leave because what would she do? I can't move because where would she go? I feel so incredibly stuck because I know that if I were to say, I, I've tried to move actually in years past, 
and um, she convinced me not to. I shouldn't have listened. Um, I tried to leave again, and she said, why would you leave? You know, your brother is going to get married, then this apartment will be yours, and it's cheaper because we've lived here. And I listened to her again, and it didn't pan out that way. And she's she kind of led me on because she built her house in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So she said, eventually, I'm going to live there. That was 15 years ago. You still live here. Mm-hmm. You still live with me. I should have left when I had that chance. And I know if I leave now, I'll catch it from all ends. So like, why would you do that to mom now? She's older. She can't work. She can't do these things. So, so I f- feel extremely stuck. And it's really hard not to get resentful of that. Mm-hmm. Because why am I now solely responsible for my mother? And uh, oh my gosh. That's frustrating. Yeah, that's that's frustrating. And uh, I don't know what to do with it. Like, I I feel like we fight so much about these little things that we talked mm-hmm. about. And I feel that we would have a better relationship if we lived separately. I will say that my relationship with my parents a million times got better the day that we stopped living with each other. And I know that that would happen, but on the other side of that, it's like, what is she going to do if I leave? That, okay, I'm going to go off of that. So when I was living with my parents, I felt very, um, I felt like they depended on me as much as I depended on them. The only reason that I feel like I have this sense of individuality and freedom is because my parents live nearby my sister. So for the longest time, my sister's older. She had to deal with a lot of things being the eldest daughter, the eldest, the eldest daughter. And then it was me for for a while. Um, But now I don't have to worry because I have my, my, I know my sister is nearby. So that's what gives me that freedom. However, this has always been in the back of my mind and it is to this day and like for the future will always be in the back of my mind. My sister has her responsibilities with her kids and her family. My parents, I am working my life with the back of my mind to form a life that I can potentially in the future take care of them. So while I may not be doing it right now, I see myself doing that in the future with my parents and my brother as well. My brother's disabled. So I'm a um, single person right now, but I have that in the back of my mind that one day I will be taking care of them. Like whatever your life turns into, they're you're gonna, gonna have gonna that. be in it. Yeah. Exactly. So I just I don't know, my mind just kind of like this is where I'm thinking of. Like yeah. you're in that position. I, I got a lot of people in my life that were telling me, like being it, being in the Bay Area, so many of my family members are there. They were telling me, Why are you gonna leave? You have your family here. I talked to my uncle one time about going to the East Coast for school. He goes like but if you're here, your mom can, you know, can go take care of you when you get sick or something happens. We're right here if you need us. It is that very kind of that's one generational tradition that I I broke apart. I, I I tore away from it. I'm like, I moved away from my family. Whereas in our culture, we stay together. Definitely. And that's kind of what also helped that made me a little bit more of the black sheep as well. So it's something that I now consider um breaking away. Because my kids are grown mm-hmm. and they work and either you come with me or I dip on my own. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's something right now that I'm thinking like, what would work best for me? I feel like in order for me and my mom's relationship to be okay, I know eventually she'll be with me. Mm-hmm. But right now, while she's still good and she's still strong and she can still do things, I feel like I need to break away from her for five 
maybe 10 years and then eventually we'll end up back together Mm -hmm. that's what i feel happens and like how you were speaking like eventually you know this is what's going to happen we all live together now right Mm -hmm. it's myself my my mom that goes back and forth my brother who's single and lives there on his own Mm -hmm. and my two kids who are now grown when they started working you know we said, okay, this is your money. You do what you will. Set up your own individual bank accounts. However, you also need to be responsible. There's bills, there's food, there's rent. Yeah. Okay. I I don't want them to feel like they're responsible for me. So the agreement that we came to is that you're going to pay rent and you're going to pay a bill, right? Just so you're responsible. Do I need them to pay rent? I don't. Okay. I'm fine. But you need to be responsible. Yeah. So instead of them paying their a portion of rent and it going to me, I told them, give this much amount of money to your grandma. Because she's the one that's there when the lady comes to pay the rent, right? Mm-hmm. She gives them the money. Give the rent money to your grandma. I know she I know that I'm still giving her the same amount. I know my brother's still giving her the same amount. So that means that's a surplus for her. So in my way, like that's my help for my mom. Mm-hmm. I could have kept that for myself, but that's, here you go. That's for you. I send money to my parents to this day. I see myself, my, my, my parents do that to their parents um, or their parent. Um, I'm doing that to my parents. And that's something that I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. Mm-hmm. It is something that I, in a sense, like they did so much for me, the least, I, if this can help them, I'm yeah. going to give it to them because I know that they could use it or it's an extra less it's one less thing for them to worry about like literally my mom i sent her uh, it was her birthday in, in july and so when my mom sent me a message and she goes it's a picture of these shoes and she's like thank you miha i brought my dream shoes yeah. and i cried because here i was thinking that oh it's just 200 bucks my mom literally she said her dream shoes right and That's like it, it breaks it, it not breaks my heart but when I think about the future, I think about like, oh, if I own a home, there's got to be at least this many rooms for my parents. Right. And to me, I'm like, oh my God, I would love to buy them a house. And so me thinking, I want to do these things for them, but I can't. And so for my mom to have told me, I brought my dream shoes. I was like, oh my God. And you know, it brings, it makes, it brings tears to my eyes because like, I don't know, that's one aspect of our, like, part of our culture that I, I don't see myself kind of straying away from like, yes, I live in a different state than my parents and I'm not in constant communication all the time, but like, I still want to provide for my family for them in whatever way that I can. And it's just something that I can't see myself stopping. And and I think that's why I feel like I'm in such a important time in my life Mm -hmm. because my mom is still active. Mm-hmm. And she's still good. She she doesn't work your typical job, mm-hmm. but she does her thing, you know. Yeah. And um, and she still generates some type of money for her, mm-hmm. for her to do the things she wants to do. My kids are fine. Um, you know they're working. They they got their their they wouldn't be able to live on their own yet, mm-hmm. but you know they have their own income and they can do their own things. And I don't have to worry about buying them stuff. Yeah. So right now I'm finding that my, the things I work for, oh my gosh, those are mine for the first time in my life. I have money and it's for me. 
And I and that's why I feel this is such an important time for me because I need to get away from you know the problems that I have with my mom and my kids are fine so I can get away from them a little. Yeah. And I can do something different for myself. Yeah. This is my golden time to do something for myself. And what I want to do with that is I want to, I want to see different places. I want to travel different places. I want to hike different places. Yeah. And that's what I want to do for myself before moving on to that next version of my life, yeah. which is when my mom needs my help, when she needs my care. But I need to do this for myself first and then move on to that part. I think one of the reasons why I was I'm able to do the things that I've been doing in my life the past couple of years is because my sister, um, being the eldest, she she had a kid at 19. She got pregnant at 18, had a kid at 19. And I remember seeing her struggling Definitely. and the way that she struggled. And she was she was 18, 19 and um and I hate saying this, but during the time I remember thinking, Oh yeah, and the the kid's father stayed. Like they're still together to this day. And I remember saying that like oh yeah the you know baby daddy's still in the picture because that is another stereotypical stereotypical thing, yeah. is the father would not stay in the picture um but i even with all the support around her still i saw how she struggled and i think that's one of one of those things is my sister went through something and I was able to, to learn from, learn from it uh -huh. and decide differently for myself. And that's one of the things that I had that benefit of having in that opportunity that I feel like you you weren't in the position to have the opportunity kind of thing. And that's no. why my life could have been completely different had I not had my yeah, older sister. Definitely. It's definitely different. And um, check, see if this is interesting to me because I have to have this conversation with my son, of course. Mm -hmm. And I try to tell them, like, don't have kids yet. You're too young. Mm -hmm. But how do I tell them that without telling? Like, I don't want them to think, like, dude, you ruined my life, you know, because that's not it either. Yeah. So I had to think about this before I had this conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And I had to tell him, like, look, I couldn't do a lot of these things because I had you guys and I was responsible for you. And then I have to throw in, you know, I love you as you're the best thing about me and about my life. But I could have given you different things and different opportunities if I had waited. And even though, like, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me, it was really hard at first. You know, so I had to really methodically think about what words are am I going to say to not make them feel like you know I messed up with you that's a hard ass it's a it's 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 a difficult conversation. conversation and um my oldest kind of takes it into consideration and he'll be like oh mom like you did a lot for me like I really appreciate you and and that to me is everything 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 because for them to understand that and they do take it to heart because they're like yeah kids kids aren't it for me right now mm -hmm. I'm like good good you know when, when you're ready i don't think you could ever be 100 percent ready but when it happens you'll be a little bit more stable and you can do more stuff i think i mean just from what you're saying if i was on the receiving end if i was a, a kid and my parents were telling me this thing or like my parent i i think that's a beautiful way to go about it i mean and it's like you there's no easy way to have that conversation. There's no easy way to have difficult conversations. Yeah, and so it's just a matter of like, hey, this is what happened. And this is my life. This is what happened. And it doesn't take from the fact that these great things ended up happening still. Right. So, 
Yeah, that's something definitely generationally. I, I don't like to shy away from the difficult conversation with my kids, probably not with everyone else. But with my kids, I, I definitely try to break that because they, they've asked me some hard questions, man. They've asked me like some difficult stuff that I don't want to admit. But I'm like, if I don't tell them the truth, what consequences is that going to have if I'm not being forthcoming with them? It's harder because you didn't have these conversations with your parents so it's hard to be like how do i start where do i start we don't we don't have the words to have these difficult conversations with because we're literally trying to figure it out on our own well this is this is something i learned with the therapist with their therapist on um, how to be open with them is when, when they were at that age meaning much younger you know elementary school is really really paying attention to that question of how was your day? What did you do? Oh, you did math? Was it easy or was it hard? What was hard about it? I got this thing wrong. Did someone laugh at you? Oh yeah, you know, such and such laughed at me. Well, you know, that's not okay. So this is where it builds, it builds, it builds, it builds. So as kids, if you're being that open with them and you're giving them a safe space for them to tell you things, hopefully, when it gets harder and it's not just about a mouth problem, they're still going to come to you. Yeah. They're still going to tell you things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the hope. And it sometimes happens. Obviously they're not going to tell me everything, but they have told me some like hard things where I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad you told me if mm-hmm. I, it, maybe I can't fix it, but I'm glad you can get it off your chest with me. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that just in itself is to me from outside perspective is like, you're, you're doing something to help provide an open safe space to your kids. Your kids feel that because they're telling you these things. But I think that's why us at this age, we can't have that with our parents because this is something that's been built on years and years and years and years since they were little. This idea was presented to them and it's now developed into an open, an openness between parent and child. Whereas we never had that. So, as an adult, where do you start? I don't know. I only know how to start it when they're little. I don't know how to start it when with an adult. Yeah. I've, I've thought about telling my parents certain things, but like when it comes to these things about the podcast, part of me is like, how? Yeah. How do I do this? Is it going to be beneficial to our relationship? Does it is it does it matter? Or is it detrimental? Or is it detrimental? How many? How much of these details are important, and is it worth it? So. That's another thing we're having to navigate is like just these so, conversations. <laughs> so to this day, I don't get anything positive like from my mom. I don't get any positive comments or any positive anything, right? Like, oh, you did a good job with this or nothing with her directly. But it was funny to me that when I went to Mexico and I spent time with my family and I'm with my cousins and in, in conversation and he tells me, yeah, you know, your mom always tells me how much you do for her and how much she wouldn't be able to do the things she does here if it wasn't for you. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I, I love to hear it, yeah. but it would have been nice if she told me, Yeah, you know, but I, at least, at least I know she feels it and that she told someone else yeah. that she, she acknowledges what I do and what I bring. I can imagine, this is what goes through my mind, the struggle that you had in telling your newborn kid, I love you, 
it's so much harder for your mom after the life that she's lived mm -hmm. that her doing that is like that is like the closest thing that she can come to like what you did yeah and stuff yeah and the, yeah i hear you that's the closest she can get probably to it and it's the times it's just the times yeah, that Mm, and I guess, like, you know, as time goes on, my hope is that it's shown that things are being easier. We're talking more about these difficult conversations, and it's it's slowly showing that more people are open to having these, and it's becoming easier to talk about this, and just more positive things are coming from it. So. Yeah, definitely. Oh, wow, we're at two hours. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Uh, okay. So, any last minute things that you want to mention or talk about before I get to my little end spiel? <laughs> um, no, I think we covered so much. Yeah, I think you know me better than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. honestly, it's honestly a really, really huge honor and pleasure to be able to be in a position like this because you literally don't have to be here, and you're putting yourself out there. For who knows who to listen to kind of thing right. and it's I, this is something i take seriously in a sense like i appreciate the trust definitely to, to, to do this yeah so. like i mentioned to you this is things i i think about but i don't ever tell anyone about they're just things i keep to myself and when i heard it i was like whoa i can totally do this like yeah so th that's my hope and goal is that this reaches someone and they're able to feel like wow i'm not alone and slowly open up these conversations so that however you felt when you're growing up however i felt when i was growing up that either is gone or very very little where it doesn't cause us any issues in their in like into our adulthood definitely so i agree yeah well this is one great conversation yeah. um i like to end with fun facts mm -hmm. about um locations and just things because i never really got the opportunity to i don't really know much about other countries that, that Latin American country. So I just like to end with some like little fun facts. Um, so you might know these, you might not. So Guadalajara was briefly occupied in 1910 by Miguel Hidalgo y Costilla. Um, I didn't know he was known as the father of independence, but now I, I know. know well, now, now we now both we know. know. <laughs> um, and Jalisco is the birthplace of mariachi music and tequila, which mm -hmm. that's pretty sweet. Um, and then Tequila was, the, the city was established in 1600. The third, Jalisco is the third richest economy in Mexico, and it entered its statehood in 1823. The sister team, Las Chivas, is, is called Chivas USA, and it's actually based here in LA. They play here. Um, and some notable people, Carlos Santana, Lorena Ochoa, and Guillermo del Toro. Um, Vicente Fernandez from Guadalajara. Shut up! Is he really? How he did has I a miss ranch. that? He has a ranch there that's open to the public. You can visit it. You can tour it. How did I miss that? Wow. Uh huh. Okay. Well, next time I'm going to Mexico. Yeah. There's a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of things to right. do. Any last minute? Any any shout outs or social media or anything? Oh no, I'm not. I'm not huge no? on social media. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just me. <laughs> I love that. Okay, well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you to those listening, and until next time. I just gotta find the button to end it. Where's the button? I have so many tabs open. <laughs>